0: Thank you, Jesse. Good morning, Encounter Church. Go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word and uh, make your way to the book of Ruth. You'll find the book of Ruth uh, there in the Old Testament. It's good to see uh, so many of you uh, this morning. Debbie Richardson is all the way from uh, North Carolina here with us today, and uh, good to have you here with us. Also, just a note, I know Debbie uh, is in need of a kidney, And uh, I hope you don't mind me sharing this uh, with you, uh, with the congregation, Uh, but she's on the National Kidney Registry list and uh, certainly is in desperate need of a kidney. And so if you know of anyone or even yourself uh, are able to help her, or if you have other questions about that, go ahead and... Talk to Debbie after the service, but glad to have you here this morning, Debbie. Also, um, as you're making your way, okay, so keep, do, do, don't let me distract you from getting to the book of Ruth, all right? Ruth, you'll find it on page 376, is where we'll be this morning. Next Sunday, uh, Carrie and Krista Wright, many of us know Carrie and Krista, they helped start the church. Uh, they'll be joining us next Sunday. They are actually. Uh, God gave them another crazy-haired idea to start another church up in Northwest Ohio. And so they're going to be joining with us some next Sunday and sharing uh, with us as a church about what God is doing there uh, in this next ministry endeavor. And so I encourage you to to come and uh, to give them a hug again and get reacquainted with them. Uh, and uh, what's interesting is Addie and Trent are actually leaving on vacation that day. So they're like, oh, the parents are in town, we're out of here. Uh, but... Uh, join us. And we also have another fun surprise uh, next Sunday that, if I told you it wouldn't be a surprise anymore, but another fun surprise that we as a church family will be able to, um, to celebrate and participate in. So uh, mark, that, mark that on your calendar. As we'll see you next Sunday. But until then, we've got a sermon, okay, and a whole week to get through, right? Uh, Ruth chapter 2. Is where we find ourselves, and I'm going to go ahead, and uh, we're going to jump right back in, reading it at verse, starting in verse 14. Lord willing, we'll finish chapter, all of chapter two through verse 23. And if you remember, if you've been traveling with us, this is now our fifth week in the book of Ruth. Uh, we're now at the at the point. Uh, you might recall last Sunday, Ruth left. Uh, they had gotten back to Bethlehem. And basically, Naomi and Ruth had uh, nothing but probably the, the shirts on their body, on their back. And uh, they'd arrive back and Ruth gets up and she says, I'm going to go seeking favor, looking for favor. And we were reminded of, of how Ruth took shelter under the wing of the Lord, Boaz said, and, uh, and how God's favor was on her. And that encouragement uh, for us even as we take shelter under the Lord, uh, that he, that God gives his favor to those who take their shelter under him. And now we find ourselves, uh, verse 14 really uh, is about the, the midday break of her gleaning. All right, again, uh, chapter 1 takes a period, covers, covers a period of about 10 to 11 years Uh, Chapter 2 now covers a time period of about 24 hours. And so it really compresses and slows down. Uh, The author wants us now to focus on what God is doing in these moments here. So in verse 14, we're going to see, rejoin the story there on that day as she's seeking the favor of someone who will be kind to them and allow them to, to reap, to glean the edges of the field. Uh, she happens upon, just happens by happening, right? Upon the field of Boaz and um, God showed his favor to her. Verse 14 now is at mealtime, midday break, all right? So let's jump back in here. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her or said to Ruth, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her for, from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her so ruth gleaned in the field until evening then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it it amounted to about an ephah she carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over After she had eaten enough. And her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Oh, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I, I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers or kinsman redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. But do I have to? The question is often asked in a rather whiny tone. But do do I have to? tends to resemble a comparable tone of the sound of fingernails on an old chalkboard as we hear those words. But do I have to? It's often asked by those of us who understand our responsibility in obedience. We're willing to comply, but our heart just isn't in it. The depth of our obedience in those times is often very shallow. Just enough to check the requirement off our to-do list. How many of you find yourself maybe verbally or even in your own hearts and minds saying that phrase at times, but do I have to? Right, Tax season is up. It's coming up, right? Maybe some of us, but do I have to? (laughs) The answer is yes. (laughs) But do I have to, right? There are times when we are asked to help or assist another person, and our tendencies can lean toward just enough, doing just enough to get by, doing just enough to meet the basic needs of that other individual. We like the idea of helping another person, but we struggle to follow through on the commitment. Even in our own hearts, when we see or hear of another person who is in need, we're quick to ask the question in even our own minds, "Ah, but do I really have to do this? Or what is the least I can do to help this person? This morning, we are getting to know this man by the name of Boaz even more. And you remember, right, we were told, the, the, the author of this told us in verse 1 of chapter 2, keep your eye out for this guy by the name of Boaz. And, and here we're going to get an even better understanding of who this man by the name of Boaz is. We're going to discover that Boaz was a man of grace who, when it came to helping other people, he didn't look for the shortcuts. He wasn't looking for the loophole. He wasn't interested in just meeting the minimum requirements. You see, Boaz was not merely motivated by the law, because if you remember in the Old Testament law, the instruction was given, right? Leave the edges, the corners of your field for those who have need. If you are a relative of someone who has need, you are to help them, help meet those needs. But we're going to see that Boaz was not a man who was just interested in meeting the letter of the law. Instead, Boaz was guided by loving kindness. He was guided by loving kindness. And we're going to see how this loving kindness played a part even in uh, waking up Naomi's bitter and hardened heart toward the Lord. The big idea for this morning's sermon is this. Let our loving kindness point others to hope in Christ. Let our loving kindness point others to the hope or to hope in Christ. So we turn now our attention, learning about this man by the name of Boaz. We see him here, and this is where Boaz shows this loving kindness. Again, he could have easily... Just kind of checked off the list, okay? I let this gal by the name of Ruth, who's a foreigner, by the way, right? I'm not really obligated necessarily because the law doesn't say really how I should how I should respond in that situation when when a relative of mine goes right right leaves the nest and kind of goes off to the greener grasses over in Moab. I'm I'm really not obligated to do this, so I've kind of fulfilled the law. But what we see is is that Boaz. He's not interested in just checking off the box. Boaz goes further and he shows loving kindness. You see, in this story we're going to see, and I mentioned this last week, that both Boaz and Ruth serve as good examples to follow and understand men you can learn a lot from Ruth and ladies you can learn a lot from Boaz and so regardless of whether you're a man or a woman as we even focus our attention for a few minutes here on Boaz understand there's there's something for all of us to learn from these examples right and and so God gives us this gift of of godly and biblical examples. And and I I do feel that both Ruth and Boaz are very accessible examples from whom we can learn from, right? We all need people in our lives who are setting an example for us, who we're looking toward and learning from. People who are maybe a little bit further down the road in in their walk with Jesus than we are who are willing to turn back and, and, and help guide us along the way, right? I hope that each of us in here have someone or a group of someones who we're learning from. And so in this, book of, in this Old Testament book, Ruth and Boaz, are this morning, they're going to serve as very accessible examples to all of us. Now, I'm, I make a number of observations. These aren't on the screen, okay? So this is going to cause you to tune your ear, all right? I purposefully don't put everything on the screen because I want your ears turned, this attention, listening. But I, boy, I've got, a, I've got a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and you're right, looking at your watch, rightly so, right now. I've got eight different characteristics of Boaz that I want us to consider briefly this morning, all right? Uh, the first characteristic of Boaz that I want us to consider that I think we can, that we see here is Boaz, how he had just a very genuine care for others. That Boaz had a genuine care, you can write that down if you like, that he had a genuine care for others. It seems that Boaz displayed a consistent care for other people. Do you even remember last Sunday where we learned how Boaz greeted his workers in the field, right? You look there at verse four, again, where Boaz arrives, it says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters. He said, the Lord be with you, right? He didn't say, okay, so how much have you gotten done? He, he, he didn't say, hey, why, why, why aren't you guys working harder? There's just a very caring greeting and concern that he has. The Lord be with you, right? And and the workers then responded. They said, oh, Boaz, the Lord bless you. And so we see that Boaz was a man who displayed genuine care for others. Notice also in our text this morning, in verse 14, that Boaz sits down with his workers to enjoy lunch. I imagine there probably would have been a handful of, of other men and women who would have been employed by Boaz. And, and you know, I, I just think of like a picnic table under a shade tree, right? Can you kind of go there with me? And they're bringing their packed lunches along, along with them, and they're sitting down there. And who do we find sitting there with them, right? Boaz is a wealthy boss. He doesn't isolate himself from those whom he employs, but instead, what does he do? He, he joins them in a lunchtime table chat. He just has a genuine concern for other people. It's what we see that Boaz has a loving loving demeanor and speech. That Boaz has a loving demeanor and speech. He seems to have a gentle way about him, not only in his actions, but also in how he addresses other people. In fact, when we saw this last week, there at verse 13. Did you did you notice this how what Ruth says? There in verse 13. Ruth says, May I may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. Look what then Ruth says next. She says, You have put me at ease. How? By speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not even have the standing of one of your servants. Of one of your servants, right? So, So Boaz is speaking kindly to her. He could have said, well, get out of here, right? Go on. I don't need you around here. But instead, his words gave comfort to Ruth. His words, his tone, his demeanor, his intensity, his willingness to listen. You see, the way that Boaz spoke to Ruth put her at ease, and I have no doubt the way that he spoke to others put them at ease also. I'm reminded of Proverbs 16, 24, where it says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bone. Or in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 12, where it says, Words from the wise man are gracious right the words that you say to other people does it communicate a loving kindness toward them the words that you post on social media the words of others that you might affirm through liking on social media do they put other people at ease You can say difficult things in a way that still puts people at ease. We're not saying to avoid speaking what's right and true, but how you say it does matter. And we see Boaz had a loving demeanor and speech. Another one is that Boaz had a pattern of generosity. It just seems that the generosity that Boaz shows to Ruth did not just appear one day. It would have been a pattern of living that Boaz practiced over his lifetime. Little by little. Right? He, pra- he had a pattern of generosity. And let me just speak to the young people. Right? Even now, in your, at the stage of life that you are in right now, you're establishing patterns for the rest of your life. when you wake up in the morning, right? Do you sleep in? Or do you set an alarm and and get up in a timely way? Get changed, right? Brush your teeth for my kids, comb their hair, right? Do all these things, right? These are patterns that you are... Thank you, Thatcher, for combing your hair. These are patterns that you begin to establish even at a young age, and generosity is one of them, because right? A habit, a pattern, is like establishing a rut in the road that you fall, and, and you want to make sure that that your ruts are going in the right direction. and a rut is sometimes hard to get out of. And so, as we think about Boaz, we have to understand that he didn't just one day wake up and decide, hey, I'm going to start being an, an extravagantly generous person, it would have started off little by little. Starting in small ways, establishing and practicing that habit. And so in Boaz, we just see that he had a pattern of generosity. We also see that Boaz extended an invitation to the foreigner. Boaz invites Ruth to sit at the lunch table with them. He invites her at mealtime. Look at this, in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. He gives her a place at the table. You see, we can't forget the significance and the importance of the table in the Old Testament, especially in relationships all throughout Scripture and, and The same is true for today, that the table has a way of bringing us together. It's at the table where we find community. It's at the table where we find instruction. It's at the table where we find charity. It's at the table where we find love. And what does, and again, throughout this passage, it's continually mentioned that she's a foreigner, that she's a Moabite, that she's not like one of them. That she's she's not from around here, you might say. And what does Boaz do? He invites her to have a place at the table. As well, we see that Boaz displayed humble service. Humble service. Boaz even serves the meal of roasted grain. Roasted grain would have been a common food of this day. Boaz doesn't just sit down at the table and wait to be served, but he chooses to serve the meal. Even serving the meal to Ruth. It's that action. It's when, when in serving someone else, it's that activity of, invite, of letting them know that they are a friend. That they are like family serving them. We also see how Boaz has compassion toward the stranger. Not only does he invite her in, but he has compassion toward her. This, honestly, this just, I don't know if you caught this, but Ruth has her fill. And did you notice how it says she actually had some left over? Ruth finishes her meal. <laughs> she stashes away the leftovers and that's going to come into play later. All right, she stashes away the leftovers and then she heads back to the field to pick up, uh, other, to pick up more grain. Did you no- notice the instruction then that Boaz gives to his workers in verses 15 and 16? And I, I would, I believe that Boaz probably gave this instruction after she was outside of earshot that Boaz may have kept a couple of the guys back and he said, hey, just just sit here for a little bit. Let's let Ruth continue to go out to the field. And then what does Boaz do? It says there in verses 15 and 16, it says, as she got up to glean, Boaz then gave orders to to his men. He says, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her to gather uh, for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So let's, let's think in mind what Boaz is doing. Again, to just meet the letter of the law, to be able to say, okay, I let the foreigner, I let, I let the poor and the needy have access to the edges of my field. He's going above and beyond that. And he's instructing his workers to actually purposefully leave handfuls of grain on purpose for her. Boaz instructs his workers to intentionally pull out these stalks, leave the handfuls, the the gleanings and the groupings of sheaves for Ruth. You see, for Ruth, Boaz is showing compassion on Ruth by allowing her to gather from the crop that had already been picked by the workers in this boaz is even relieving ruth of some of her hard of the hard labor of the task boaz even instructs his workers right he says leave some behind for her so we see that boaz is displaying just incredible compassion toward who toward the stranger and then the last characteristics that i notice here and maybe this is is maybe one, of, um, maybe one of the more important ones. His concern for her dignity. Boaz displays a concern for Ruth's dignity. How? In his instruction to his workers, Boaz tells the men, don't reprimand her or rebuke her. We might say it in this way. Guys, listen, Ruth is out there. She's gleaning. Uh, I want you to leave some handfuls out there on purpose for her. I want you to leave some of the stalks for her. But listen to me, guys. Don't embarrass her. Don't shame her. Don't make her feel bad. Don't make her feel any less. Boaz has concern for Ruth's dignity. Wanting to bless her But in so doing, not wanting to dishonor her dignity by making her a charity case or allowing her men to chastise or ridicule her for her needy position. You know, oftentimes, are we tempted when we see those who are in need or or who are poor or find themselves in a position of having much, much less, how often, even in our minds, we strip them of that dignity. Automatically, we think, well, you deserve it, right? You make your bed, right? You, you lie in the bed that you made. If only you had made better choices. Even sometimes, I, I think at times as I sit there at the stoplight, and believe me, there are, I'm, I'm not going to get into to the debate of whether or not you should give handouts to the panhandlers or not. This is not the place. Even within our staff over the holiday season, we had a, we had a, a vibrant debate at one of our Christmas parties where people on different sides, should we give out to panhandlers, should not we not? Like It was getting so tense, I almost had to pull out the mistletoe and be like, can we just kiss and make up, right? Yeah, I'm always the peacemaker, right? So I'm not debating whether or not we should give out to the panhandlers or not, but here's what I'm wondering. In those moments when we sit there at the stoplight and the panhandler is standing right there next to us, do we ignore them? By keeping our gaze fixed forward or pretending like we're or finding something to look at on our, on our phone I think a lot of times we do. We intentionally ignore them. We refuse to do what? To make eye contact. Because it's in that moment when we look them in the eyes, we're reminded of their humanity and their dignity. And so we look away. Because when we look away, we can justify our attitude toward them because of their failures, their mistakes, their poor choices, their addictions, la-da-da-da-da. But what does... What does Boaz tell them? Don't reprimand her. Don't rebuke her. Now we pause here, right? Boaz shows loving kindness. We pause here for a moment and we consider these characteristics and we see how Boaz wasn't just content with meeting the minimum requirements. He could have just stopped with the bare minimum and said, you can glean from the edges of my field and that's it. But we see that Boaz was going above and beyond. He was guided by love. He wasn't just satisfied with meeting the letter of the Old Testament law as stated in Leviticus 19, but instead Boaz lavished grace and mercy on Ruth. Boaz took an ordinary event and he transformed it into a display of great generosity, acceptance, and deep, deep compassion. I think it's difficult for most of us to understand what it's like to go without food because we're accustomed to eating three meals a day. How many of you had, a, had, had something to eat within the last 24 hours? Yeah. Now, praise the Lord, my wife is back. She got back from that women's retreat. And we did, we kind of pounded the cold meat sandwiches for a couple meals, right? But it's still Food. So so we struggle to kind of to know exactly what it was like for Ruth and Boaz to have little. But I think maybe in some way we can try to empathize with them and understand the relief that these two women must have had the relief especially that must have overwhelmed Ruth and knowing that she and her mother-in-law would have plenty to eat. And it's here where I wonder, what would my response have been to Ruth? Am I like Boaz, who welcomes the outsider? Those who maybe don't naturally fit in our community? What would your response have been? What is your response? Sadly, it's far too often in our neighborhoods that we cast an eye over our neighbors or our community and we completely overlook those who are the outcast and the stranger. We overlook the immigrants and the homeless. We overlook the poor and the needy. We overlook the widows and the widowers. We have eyes, but we do not easily see what Boaz saw. Who do you see? Are you consciously looking For those who find themselves out on their own, do you see the poor and the needy in your own neighborhood? Do you recognize the outcast and the neglected, or do they remain invisible to you? What we see is Boaz is going far above and beyond his mere duty in order to take care of the poor and to include the outsider. He took time and he, 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 put, he put effort in building ties of relationships, of a relationship with Ruth and, and no doubt with others. And, he, and we're going to see that down the road, right, in chapters 3 and 4, how he, he pays the cost of her own provision out of his own pocket. And I wonder, do we have a similar compassion toward those who are in need? You know, on the second Sunday of each month here at the church we have what is called benevolent Sunday. Many of you are familiar with that already. Uh, are, are if not, just this is kind of a, a word of instruction, how we operate. Uh, second Sunday of each month, we have a, a benevolence box. It's a box that sits right there to the right of these center doors. So you have the offering box, and then there's a benevolence box that's there. And that's an opportunity for us as a church. We collect funds from many of you. We stick funds in that benevolence box. And we use those funds to help take care of the church congregation, the needs that are even right here. And I know sometimes uh, when you're not sitting around in different meetings and talking with different people, and uh, I, I know sometimes we don't necessarily always know what the needs of other people are, but I can tell you that there are needs within our church congregation. There are automobile needs within our church congregation there are people who are finding themselves at at the end of disability payments who are in need within our congregation there are people who because of health concerns have been out out of work for months and who have very real physical needs i think of clayton compton who's not here this morning Right, who's been who's been in the hospital? Who his his career depends on his hands. He has an arm, a hand that that is bummed up now, and and is going to be out of work for at least three or four months for that thing to heal and and to 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 be able to use again. Are we a church that just says, "Well, just go file for government aid"? are we a church that says no we love each other we have compassion for one another and why do we do this i believe that i believe boaz knew the covenant the faithfulness of the covenant god right it's it it's the it's the loving kindness of god that's flowing through boaz And he knows God's kindness to him. And because of that, then he is going to be kind to other people. And that is an, that's an overflowing, that's, that's a well of loving kindness that never runs dry, that every time you turn on that spigot, Right, those of you who remember those old water pumps, right, at the old parks or wherever, right, you loved, right, family reunions, like that thing was just a magnet for little kids. Why? Because we'd pump that thing as hard as we could, little little secret, right, if you held the water, like if you if you stopped it here, the water would explode out of the top of that thing, right? Can I get a witness? Anyone else ever do that? If I had one, I'd show you, right? I, I do have one, at we'll show you sometime, but you'd pump that thing, and what happened? The water just flows and flows and flows and the harder you pump, the longer you pump. It just keeps flowing. And think of God's love and kindness to us. It just keeps coming. You can't pump hard enough. It just keeps coming. Can I tell you something? That when we understand what it was like what, what, the, the joy that must have come to Boaz as he is displaying God's loving kindness to other people. There's a joy there, isn't there? That far outweighs <laughs> making sure that you get, get all the crop in the, every little corner of the field. If you drive past our house right now, You'll think it's like a uh, 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 well. We cleaned out our garage yesterday. I just let you know, and we're tired of all this junk in our garage. And so, what do we want to do? Well, let's pawn it off on our neighbors, right? So we drag all this stuff out to the front of our yard, and I'm trying to think. Okay, what what can I what can I get a few bucks for? There's not much. Okay, but there are a couple things. One of them was Merritt's birdcage, cage and we heard the saga about his birds earlier this year, right? So we saw so I said, "Merritt, should we that, yeah, let's sell the bird cage. I'm ready to sell. it. How much? 15 bucks." All right, 15 bucks. All right, and there's an old school desk that we put slapped $25 on and it's been sitting there for a long time. But then we had all these other things that Sterling is making signs that says free, free, free free like we tape them on there again you go past you'll see there's like bus seats if you want bus seats we got free bus seats because everyone wants extra bus seats in their living room and so we got like all like there's life vests that are free just things that we i'm like yeah sure maybe i could get like facebook marketplace get a few bucks but i don't want to because can i tell you something every time someone came and took something that was free i felt a whole lot better Because I'm thinking, if they can use it, if there's something that they can use, then let them have it. Like, people are taking this door we had out there. It's free. I'm, like, waving them, and they're waving at me. There's another little piece of furniture that was free, and they're loving it. I'm waving at them, and they're waving at me. Like, and then the people are taking things that they're buying. I'm, like, ducking in the corner. Marin comes home and she says, you sold the birdcage? I said, yeah, we sold the birdcage. How much you get for it? 15 bucks. Someone bought the birdcage for 15 bucks? Did you, tell them, did you tell them that the door was broke on the birdcage? No, I didn't know the door was broke on the birdcage. Who bought it? Well, our neighbor bought it. Should I go give them the $15 back? You know, what do I do? But isn't there a greater joy? Isn't there a greater joy in Generosity? Why? Because we've been the recipients of that generosity. Who does Boaz make you think of? You see, it's here in this text that Boaz is like a shadow of Christ. Because in rehearsing these characteristics of Boaz in our minds, our hearts should be drawn to Christ in His loving kindness for us. His care for the downcast, His humility in serving, His compassion toward the foreigner, His concern for human dignity. Think of how Jesus fed the 5,000 till they were filled. And guess what? They had leftovers. Think of how Jesus ate with the sinners and the outcasts of society Think of how Jesus gently spoke to the wayward. Think of how Jesus cared for the needs, physical, spiritual needs of other people. Think also, think of how Boaz is serving the meal, he's serving the roasted grain, but also think of how Jesus humbly served and washed the feet of his disciples. Even the feet of Judas. Who was soon to betray him. And think of how Jesus gave of himself on the cross to meet our great need of salvation. Church, the loving kindness of God flows freely toward you. Toward me. Shouldn't that same loving kindness toward others flow freely through us? What happens then? And the next point then as we go on, Naomi Naomi is overwhelmed by Boaz's loving kindness. So we turn our attention now, verse 17, to Ruth arriving back back home to Naomi, and look who's, who's waiting there, right? Verse 17, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to, to about an ephah, which is about 30 pounds. So ladies, right, imagine, I don't know how far it was to Boaz's field, but she's hauling this 30 pounds on her, on her back. Verse 18, she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered, Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. <laughs> That's such a wonderful picture of Ruth. Right? She she throws on the table all this barley, and then she says, Hold on, Naomi. Right? This this woman who has 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 fallen into a bitter state. She says, Hold, hold on, mom, hold on just a minute. I, I got something real special for you. She reaches in her pocket and she pulls out a doggy bag from lunch, right? She she pulls out the leftovers. She said, hey, hey mom, uh, I brought a little something for you. Just the heart of Ruth. So she brings that out. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Oh, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today, Mom, is Boaz, she said. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not sh- stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian or one of our kinsmen redeemers. And so all of a sudden... Faced with this mound of food that Ruth brings home, even with the little doggy bag sitting next to it there on the table, that the practical evidence of God's goodness is shown and is seen by Naomi. And what do we, get? we sense? We sense that Naomi's attitude is starting to shift. It's starting to change. What a scene of hope this must have been. For Naomi to see the overwhelming kindness, loving kindness of Boaz... And the reminder that God has not forgotten them. We get this sense that Naomi is starting to see that that God's not out to get her. And that God is able to still smile upon her to show her his covenant faithfulness. To show Naomi and Ruth his generous loving kindness, even in spite of Naomi's tendency to run off to, know, to Moab. You see, God used Boaz. God used Boaz as a means of showing His covenant loving kindness. How Boaz went far above and beyond what the Old Testament law required of him. There were plenty of loopholes that Boaz could have tried to jump through. There were lots of exception clauses that Boaz probably could have found to absolve himself of any responsibility to take care of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. But we see that Boaz was not just concerned about the obligations of the law. Boaz had a heart that was changed by the covenant, faithfulness, and loving kindness of God. And it just flowed naturally through him. Church, I wonder in our own hearts, I wonder if in our own actions, Do we show the loving kindness of God freely to other people? And is it possible that God would use that? To draw men and women to himself. That it would entice them, that it would pique their interest. For them. To allow the walls of bitterness. To allow the walls of hurt to fall down, and for their hearts to be changed. Verses 21 and 22, it says, Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even So this is Ruth now speaking to to Naomi. Boaz even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Naomi says, Oh, you've got to go back to this Boaz. Why? Because she knew that if Boaz showed favor today, then Boaz will show favor tomorrow. This is a different response than Naomi and her husband had previously, isn't it? Instead, they got out of Dodge. They failed to trust in God's provision. But we see that God is providing through Boaz. And the reason why she tells Ruth to go back to the field tomorrow... Is based on what? Evidence of God's faithfulness today. God's faithfulness of today. Hear me on this. God's faithfulness today will carry you through tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. Let God's promises and provision of today be enough to help you trust him tomorrow. So she says, Ruth, go back to the field. We've seen his faithfulness, his provision, his favor today. It'll be there to meet you in the morning. We throw open the curtains every morning. His mercies are what new today. Great is his what? His faithfulness today. And finally, we see that loving kindness gives hope for the future. The f- the chapter closes with just this incredible foreshadow of hope again. Remember how chapter 1 closed? they arrive back in bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Okay, again, if it's a movie scene, right, if it's time for a commercial break, right, the barley harvest is is beginning. Chapter 2 ends in this incredible and again, the chapters were added later, but but the narrator, right, the the author is writing this intentionally. But it says and she lived with her mother-in-law. That's how the chapter that's how this section closes. She lived with her mother-in-law because now we see God's provision in meeting their physical need. Now how is, is God going to provide in her widowhood for, for Ruth? Right, because the chapter closes with a reminder of Ruth living with her mother-in-law. What now is going to become of these two women? And the question that the reader who's reading this for the first time might ask is will Ruth find a husband who's able to carry on the family line and who will continue, continue to provide for them in the future? And the screen goes black with the words to be continued. Philippians 4.19 says this, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Church, we're reminded that through our loving kindness, we want to point people to Jesus. We're reminded that in Christ Jesus, our greatest needs have been met. And if, if that greatest need of a Savior has been met in Christ Jesus, then we can be people who display incredible loving kindness to other people. Sometimes it might seem as if God has turned His face away from us and closed His ear to our prayers. There are times even when we feel as if maybe God has stopped showing His loving kindness and faithfulness toward us. We feel as if that's the case, don't we? The book of Ruth here reminds us that that God does and will continue to meet our every need. That His loving kindness, His faithfulness is certain and sure. And because of that, we can then show it to others. And this morning, as we take part in the Lord's table, as we do each Sunday, we take this time To remind ourselves of the loving kindness of God shown to us by sending his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. That is the great act. That's the greatest act of God's loving kindness is meeting our need for a a savior. See, we're sinful. We are disobedient people before a holy God. Right, we're easily tempted to go our own way, we're easily tempted to be selfish. Our lives are marked by sin and greed. And yet Jesus send God sends his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. You see, our sin, there's a there's a payment, there's a penalty for our sin before a holy guy God and its eternal separation. From God. And because of our disobedience, we we deserve that you deserve that I deserve that. But God sent Jesus who lived a life, a perfect life, a life of perfect obedience, because we can. not And he died on the cross, he took on himself the penalty and the punishment of death that we deserve. That's what we'll be celebrating here in just a few weeks. There on that Good Friday, Jesus dying in our place. And then on the third day, he, he comes back to life victorious over death. And He says, trust in Me. Come and follow Me. Live your life differently. Let Me take on Myself what you deserve. And when we do that, He forgives us of our sin." He cleanses us from all unrighteousness and he welcomes us to his table as members of his family. So the reminder, right, the Lord's table is a reminder of that. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that, brother. Um, Is a is a reminder of that. And I tell you, one of the best remedies, right, if your heart is bitter, ho- hold on, Dan, there's two, there's two little communion things in here. See how God provided? We'll split the juice in a little bit. There's two, you can have, let's have a second one. I love how God multiplies the bread, right? Right, the, now no, I just lost my place, sorry. Uh, but, but the remedy for a bitter heart, truly the remedy for a bitter heart is to remind yourself of God's loving kindness and to think about the cross. And so we do that every Sunday. We do exactly that. We remind ourselves and say, we don't deserve this, but God in his generosity and his loving kindness has given this to us, has offered to us life in Jesus Christ. And so we eat of this bread to remind us. That his body was broken for us. We drink of this juice to remind us that his blood was spilt for us. And in so doing, we can then show loving kindness to the world. So if you're a part of God's family, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this table is for you. All are welcome at this table for those who have believed. And so Jesus there on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He passed it around to the disciples and he reminded them, He said, this this, this bread is my body that's broken for you. And he said, eat of this to remember what I'm going to do for you. So church, let's do that. And then Jesus also took the juice serving as a reminder, a symbol of his blood. That was spilled for us there on the cross. And he encouraged us to drink of this, to remember his blood that was spilled for us. Let's do that. And truly, God has met our every need in Christ Jesus there on the cross, our greatest needs. And through us and how we treat others and what we do for others, we then can display that loving kindness to the world in hopes that God will draw many men and women to himself. Until Jesus returns. And he is returning, isn't he?